0: Welcome to the Providence Church Podcast. For more Providence Church, visit us online at ProvChurch.net. That's P-R-O-V-Church.net. Let's get into it. You know, we're, we're pretty good at making it about us. I don't know if you noticed that, but we live in a selfie culture, the age of selfies. And hey, I've been, I don't take a lot. I've taken a few selfies, so I can't, I'm not, this isn't throwing stones, I mean, once in a while, you're out there, you know, you're going to take a, take a shot, right? Everybody takes a shot, right? Um, but people love to see themselves and promote their image for the world to see. And you know, when we take selfies, it's usually the best of us, right? The best side. Uh, this look at me mania was put on display about, about a number of years ago at the College World Series, Baseball World Series. Two young ladies rushed out onto the field to take a selfie in the middle of the game. And they later posted a video of themselves being tackled by security and earning internet fame in the process. Like, I got a a ton of likes. You know, people paid attention to this thing that happened in the middle of the field as they were getting tackled by security. And and J.R. Vassar said, I guess it never occurred to the young ladies that the thousands of people who dropped good money to watch skilled athletes compete for a national championship were not actually there to see them. They, they weren't the point. Something significant was taking place in the field, but in their minds, the field was their stage, and this was their time. And he says, we can be like a bat boy at the World Series who thinks the crowd is there to watch him retrieve bats and misses the fact that the great game is bigger than him and his part in it. No baseball almanac keeps stats on bat boys. Bad boys are not the point of baseball, and we are not the point of life. We are not. While a vast majority of us would agree that our selfie culture is pretty self-absorbed, before we get too proud about ourselves, realize that it's also easy to for us to make the church about us. We, we have a tendency to make the church and our part in it about us about our preferences when it comes to style, when it comes to worship, when it comes to form, when it comes to programs and what we should do and what we shouldn't do, uh, how people should look when they come to church or how they shouldn't look when they come to church. We tend to get attached to those things in the church that we associate, and I'll use this phrase, we associate certain things with a high time with God where we've had a a really amazing encounter with God. So maybe in our history, in our past, it was, hey, an altar call. I know I came to Christ as a boy in this church at the altar, and so that was an important moment in my life, defining moment in my life. An eternity altering moment in my life. So I have great regard for coming front to pray to receive Christ. So we have high times with God. Maybe, it, maybe, it's, maybe it's sharing communion in a certain way. Like the, we, we, we need to have communion done this way. We need to dip the literally dip the bread in the cup. And I mean, that's how I did it. When so, and then we kind of that's like that's how you do it. Hmm. This is how we do evangelism because that's how I came to Christ. And so on and on and on we make our list about how to do this thing that we call church. Israel had a tendency to say there was a phrase that they often said in the Old Testament. They said, "Let's go down to Shiloh." Because Shiloh was where God and the presence of God was when they came when Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land. They established the altar there at Shiloh. And so God said, I will meet you at Shiloh. And so many things, significant things happened in Israel's history at Shiloh. And as the centuries went on and the people of God uh, moved away from the Lord and they became, they followed idols and other gods and got wrapped up in other nations. Then they, when they were going through their broken times and going through the times of having to be, is cast away and, and, and sent into exile, they would say, let's go down to Shiloh. Let's go down to Shiloh, because that was the high time with God, the place of God's presence. And there's also in the Old Testament, you know this too, there was that significant encounter that Moses had at the burning bush. And it was an amazing encounter with God that Changed his life, from a shepherd on the backside of Moab to the, the rescuer, the redeemer, if you will, of Israel that went in to rescue the people from slavery. But did you notice that God did not use the burning bush for Joseph? He didn't use the burning bush for David. He didn't come in a burning bush for Solomon or for Daniel. He came to them, but it wasn't in the form of a burning bush. And so we got to be careful about how we make certain things. Well, There's got to be a burning bush, right? I say all that to check our hearts this morning because how do we react and how do we respond when things don't look like we think they should or go the way we want them to go? Do we get, do we grumble? Do we complain? Do we get angry? Do we get resentful? Do we run away when things don't go our way? This morning, we're, we're starting a, a new series that is central to who we are as a church and what God has called us to do as his people here in this community. And we are we are launching into this core values series. There's eight of them and I let you know last week they're out. They're printed out there on the hallway. They're actually in the bridges. If you get if you didn't get your bridges um, little uh, handout, your publication, then grab that in the lobby. And they're also printed in there for you this morning in, in bridges as well. But right out of the gate, the very first value is we want to start strong and true and core. And so the very first value is, it's not about us. Let's say that right off the bat. It's not about us. It's In fact, the the subheading is, we honor God and his mission above all else. It's about him and what he's doing in the world and what he's doing in our lives and what he's doing in this community. It's really about him. And in the end, it's about God and his glory. And for us, giving our lives to see his glory expanded in the hearts and lives of everyone we encounter. As we encounter people Monday through Saturday, God, we want your presence, your power, your goodness, your love, your hope. Your, we, want that, we want to see your glory expanded in the lives of the people that we encounter, that we're in relationship with. That's really our mission. Now, before we dig into the values I want to say a couple things about them, big picture-wise this morning. First of all, and I think there's a place in your, your notes for A, B, and C this morning, these values are aspirational. I wanted to say that right off the gate, that we are, we are, what we're saying in these values is that we're saying this is us, this is who we are as, as God's people in this place. It describes the heart, describes the commitment, describes the priority of Providence Church, and we're going to talk about bringing hope next week and showing mercy the week after that and choosing trust and taking risks and on pursuing growth and on and on and on. We're going to talk about all these really important truths. But these values also say something about who we want to be. Okay? Please catch that, our aspiration. Because we are a work in progress. We're not always as a church getting it right. There are some of these values that we are embracing more fully than others. So we're not always on the edge of taking risks. We're, that's one of our values. We take risks. We trust in. We have a big faith, and we have a faith in a big, a big faith in a big God. Right. So what we're talking about, we take when we talk about taking risks, we're talking about living by faith. And sometimes we like to play it safe. If we're honest, in our personal lives. And even sometimes as a church, sometimes we shrink back from something. We think God's leading us towards something, but it's going to cost. It's going to require something of us. It's going to require us to pour out in a certain way. We're not sure we want to go there, so we, we hold back. We, we, we play it safer instead of taking the risk and living by faith. That can be true of us personally as well. So I'm saying that to be honest about, hey, aspirational. This is who we are. This is also where, who we want to be. Same thing with choosing trust. We're gonna talk about choosing trust in a few weeks and maybe in October here. There there are there are certain times when we allow suspicion to fill the gap. Because when there's a gap in relationships with other people, we either fill that gap with trust or suspicion. And sometimes you know we we want to choose trust, but sometimes we're not sure. And so suspicion rises up in our hearts, and that can be with other people, and that can be with God, in our relationship with God. Can we trust Him? And we're going to talk about how important that is. So aspirational. Secondly, these values, these values call us up. They are designed to help us be more like Jesus and to reflect more clearly what we believe the Bible says the church is to look like. That's why we want to have a framework. What has God called us to be? Who has he called us to be? It's really easy, and you know this, it's really easy in our lives. It's really easy as a church to settle, to coast, to drift, to have apathy towards God's kingdom agenda. We know God has a kingdom agenda. He's building his kingdom in the earth. He's called us to be a part of it, but sometimes we just we just kind of like, oh, just be easier just to kind of go through the motions, put in our time, put in our offering, come to a service, and all this extra serving and loving and helping with the kids and doing Bible school and doing Serve Now and being involved with Celebrate Recovery and getting involved in the community. And getting, I mean, oh, that takes a lot. Yeah, it does. I actually don't apologize for that because there's, no, there's nothing greater than advancing God's kingdom. There's no greater thing we can do with our lives than building God's kingdom. That's what he's called us to do as his people. And so these values call us up to that. Thirdly, these values cross over. That is, they are intended to be lived out and fleshed out in the church and also lived out in our lives at home, in our roles as husbands and wives, in our role as parents, grandparents, in our roles in work, in our workplace environments, these values can be lived out in every single arena of our lives. So it's not just when we show up on campus on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or for something else, but this is a a comprehensive, all-in, Monday through Saturday, Sunday included, light way of living. And these values define who we are as his people. So as we walk through these next eight weeks and each of the values The question we're asking ourselves, and I want you to be asking, is this us? Is this us as a church? Are we being true to these values? And is this us in terms of, is this me personally? Am I living these values? Am I embracing them? Am I leaning into them? Am I walking them out in my day-to-day life? And so uh, let yourself process that. Let yourself be mindful and thoughtful about how you're engaging what these value, how they're shaping in your life, what they look like. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at a couple of different passages to start here this morning. We're going to go to Old Testament, to New Testament, just a couple of verses in each. But a, there's a, a word that runs through all these passages that I want you to catch. And so Psalm 19, if you have Psalm 19, and you can find the Psalms, verse, the first four verses. And then we're going to go to Psalm 29, the first four verses. So Psalm 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth their words to the ends of the world. The glory of the cre- creation declares the glory of God. When you, If you catch, I mean, the, the lightning show the other night, I mean, some of you might, might have been at local football stadiums. I know they got shut down. We were on our back deck having a late dinner and just, man, the lightning was spectacular. Lighting up the sky. And the glory of God was on display. Even it can be a dangerous thing, yeah. But it was it was beautiful at the same time. Psalm twenty nine. Let's keep going to those four first four verses because now it's not just creation, but it's us. Ascribe to the Lord verse one. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His Holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The the God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. Again, ascribe to the Lord glory. Give him glory. Declare his glory because creation is, and so you, his people, also get to join in in that Beautiful calling on our li- on all of our lives. Now look go to the New Testament, Romans chapter eleven, and I hope you heard the the word so far that is resonating through there. Glory, because it comes up again in the eleventh chapter of the book of Romans. It's the doxology. It's the very end of the chapter, verse thirty three through thirty six. Paul finishes this chapter. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How awesome he is. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. Or who who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who can actually give God advice? No one. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? No one. For from him and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the, what's the word? Glory. To him be the glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen, Paul says. To him be the glory. Because why? Because he's great. There's no one like him. He's, his, his ways are unsearchable. You, you can't fathom How awesome he is! We, our little human brains, can't comprehend how great he is. Truly majestic he is. Paul says, "Worship him. Give give him the glory." And then let's look what Jesus says in John 17. We'll talk about how important this is as well. And this actually ties in also. John 17, verse 20. Jesus is in the garden, and he's about to be arrested. And he's praying for his disciples, and now he's praying for us. Verse 20. He said, My prayer is not for them alone, these these ones that are with me. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. That's all of us who've come to believe through their message, their testimony. That all of them, what's his prayer? That all of them, that we, all of them, may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. So the question is, if it's not about us, what is it about? And there's three things we're going to talk about this morning in terms of the answer to that, God's glory, his mission, and the importance of unity in what we do together. So let's look at this as we talk about it's not about us. Number one, God's glory. God is, he is so good. He is so true. He is so perfect. He is so full of love. He is so full of joy. He is so just. He is so kind. And so when we talk about God, he is so awesome His plan, eternal plan, is to share that with everyone. He's that good that he wants to share himself with everyone. He wants everyone to know how awesome and mighty and glorious and good he truly is. That's amazing, the essence of God. In fact, Moses in Exodus 33, Moses, this was after the golden calf. God wants to wipe out his people. He's tired of them, and Moses begs and pleads and intercedes that God would spare them for his name's sake. And then as they're talking in Exodus 33, Moses makes a request of God, bold request. He says, show me your glory. I want to see you, God. And God says, well, Moses, no one can see me and live I mean, he's that spectacular in terms of human eye. Now, we'll see him when we get to heaven. But in the meantime, we couldn't apprehend his full glory. But he says, he said, well, I love how he answers Moses. He says, but I will cause, I'm going to pass by, I'm going to put you in the cleft of this rock, and I'm going to pass by you, and you'll see the backside of me. And he says, I will show you, he says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I love how God describes the, Moses makes a request to see his glory, and God responds with, I'm going to show you all my goodness. So God equates his goodness with his glory. The fullness of who he is. The great cry of the Reformation. So Luther and the Theses, and in fact, 1517. So we just had... Uh, you know, 2017, a few years ago, we celebrated 500 years of the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. And one of the cries of the Reformation was, sola Deo Gloria. Sola, alone, Deo, God, Gloria, Gloria. To the glory of God alone. That was the cry of the Reformation. Sola Fides, faith alone. Sola Scriptura, scripture alone. Sola gracia, grace alone. And sola deo gloria. The bedrock of our faith. All glory goes to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the definition, now we're getting to that place. What is glory? Because glory is a kind of a, wow, that's a big, big thing to understand. I love, I ran across this a few years ago. Glory is the particular excellence of a thing that makes it praiseworthy. I'll say that again. Glory is the particular excellence of a thing that makes it praiseworthy. So Psalm 19.1, we read that. The heavens declare the glory of God, his excellence. What the psalmist is saying is the creation, the heavens, the earth tell us something about God. The beauty, the wonder, the mystery, the majesty, the power, the liveliness of creation reflects who God is. I don't know, do we have, do we have Cyrus have that shot? At, did you get that shot from Longwood Gardens? I don't know if we got that. Is that in there? I oh, don't know, we talked about putting that in there. Is there anything back there? From, no, it's not in there? Okay. Anyway, you can imagine if you've been to Longwood Gardens, right? Many. How many of you have been there, right? Maybe not lately. <laughs> I was like, wow, if you've been there, if you've been there this week... Whoa, I just remembered that. Like that was, they were shut down. I don't know if they're still shut down. But this, we were there earlier in the spring. So back in the spring when the flowers were blooming, you can picture the flowers blooming and just everything in full color. The glory of the, the, the just picture the, the tulip beds as you walk up through that one section of the gardens and the, the yellows and the purples and the oranges and the magentas and shoo, 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 pop, 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 pop. The glory of God is on display. You know when, and in fact, it's interesting biblically. Even you know, the Bible talks about the glory of a woman. That, that He created man and woman. He created man, and He created woman, and He created woman for man, and He gave man a desire for woman. And so, when 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 you see uh, you see the glory of God in a woman, and when you see that, you say, "You are beautiful." I mean, when I saw you know, I remember. It's, I, she's not here yet. Heather's coming later. I think later this morning, maybe when I saw that girl, I don't know, we, we had been friends for years. And in college, I shouldn't tell this story, but in college, uh, you know, I was actually, it's my graduation day from college. And I'd been hanging out with Heather. We'd been going to Bible studies for several years. She had dated someone else, a couple of someone else's. You know, we weren't, we weren't dating each other. We were friends. And uh, my graduation day from college is coming back to me. It wasn't in my notes. Uh, she came in in a black daisy dress black with white daisies all over it, printed all over I was like, wow. I said, do you want to come to lunch with us today? And I invited her to lunch with our family on my graduation day. And she came. And that thing, this is, you know, started to set it in motion. But I said, the glory of God is in that woman right there. Wow. I was like, okay. So, so you understand how that works, and when see God's glory I actually I don't think we had the picture of the Chiholi. do we have the chiholi paper? We'll, we'll get that for the next service, but is there a beautiful. if you've ever seen uh the glass sculpture, the guy named is an artist, he does glass sculptures, and uh we we were up at the uh Car- Corning glass factory earlier this winter, and there's a big when you walk in the corning glass factory, a big Chiholi hanging from the ceiling it is massive, and it is. Glorious, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna we'll have Ben send that out in your email this week. That way you can see it because it's just but the glory of God. If you see something glorious, a fabulous sunset, a comet, the Northern Lights. We have friends who live in Alaska, and so Gary and Sherry they send us pictures, and this sent they sent us pictures of the Northern. Hey, look what we woke up to this morning. Here's the Northern Lights just filling up the sky. You naturally want to tell somebody, you want to share it. That's part of the joy. You want to express an appreciation of the glory you have seen. When you see glory, you know it. That's why I love preaching. Because it's about the focus of our preaching is about the glory of God. And He's worth declaring. He's worth shouting about. He's worth telling about, right? There's a certain joy that comes from preaching the goodness and greatness of God. He's that good. You want to express it. One of the most important things that I can do in my role is to pay attention to what God is doing as he shows his glory among us, as he's working among us, changing lives, saving, healing, rescuing, delivering, doing all the things that only God can do. When he, that's, we want to declare that to one another. He is glorious, awesome in his ways. Hmm. Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. We get to participate in what all of creation is doing telling of the wonder and the splendor and the majesty and the otherness of God. In fact, Jesus says he's going into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey and the crowds are shouting his name and Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and the Pharisees and religious leaders were scoffing and teachers, quiet your people, tell them to shut up. And he says, if I do, if these will not cry, he said, even the rocks will cry out. So you can silence the people, but you can't silence creation. It will declare the truth about who I am. John Ortberg said this. He said, part of what it means to to give glory to God is to die to the self-glorification project. We are hungry for glory, and that is why we often work longer and harder than we should That's why we want to try to look better and sound smarter than we really are. We are hungry for glory. Our hunger for glory is good. It's part of why we were made. But sin has perverted and ruined our hunger. And here's the thing as we move transition to the next point. Glory is a byproduct of knowing God. The moon does not... Provide its own glow, does it? It reflects the light of the greater light, the sun. The moon reflects the light of the sun. We are designed to be glory reflectors, not glory manufacturers. It's not about us. So that's number one. Number two, his mission. His mission. I want to say this. We don't, simply want to see glory, we want to be a part of it. We want to experience it. God's mission centers around, in fact, it's interesting, years ago, he and his son were at a Chicago Bulls game back in the mid-1990s. He worked and ministered in Chicago, and that's back in the heyday of the the Bulls and their championship runs, and and Michael, you know, Air Jordan, and so they got in the arena for a couple of games in and, and one of those championship seasons and they were seated over along the edge of the tunnel where the players come in and out and him and his son were leaning over and they just wanted to get a, and 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 Michael went by and gave them five and they said, wow. You know, the greatest has just, wow. We just got to experience some of the, the glory, right? Uh, God's mission centers around the cross. His mission is about redemption, and rescue, and restoration. Glory is the particular excellence of a thing that makes it praiseworthy. And so when we think about God's mission and we think about the cross, the particular excellence of the cross is the particular excellence of his love and his justice merged together. That's what makes the cross so amazing, that God loves us so much that he would He sent his only Son to die for us, that His love drove him to to come and rescue us, yes, 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 but also his justice required payment, sin had to be taken care of, it couldn't be overlooked, it couldn't be sloughed off, it couldn't be ignored, it had to be paid for, and there was only one who could pay for it, the perfect, sinless lamb of God, Son of God. So the particular excellence of the cross, the praiseworthiness of the cross is that love and justice go together in such an amazing way, which is why we sing week after week after week after week, year after year until he comes again of the glory of the cross and the glory of God's love and his justice and what he's done for us. Mm. Tonight, we're going to have baptism. As I said in my prayer, there's going to be 14 that are going to take to the water. It's going to be awesome. And baptism reminds us of the mission that God came to accomplish. Because there's a glory that comes with a rescue operation. Everybody that goes into that water tonight is going to say, in essence, I have been rescued from my sin. Whether I'm eight or... Or whether I'm 80, that God met me, that he came for me, that he died for me, that he gave his life for me, that he he went to the cross for me, and I've received it, and I want to declare that. And so there's something about the beauty and the power of that, that rescue mission. It's amazing how our culture treats those who are willing to give or risk their lives to rescue and free others. When, when people do it in the military or in uh, culture, there's a, sometimes there's a White House ceremony, and there's medals that are given, and there's high honors that are bestowed, and there's a banquet that's put out, and it's a really big deal when people sacrifice and give their lives. And so why, when we see how culture responds, why would we not in infant, infinitely more, say, of our God who did the very same, who came and gave his life for us, There's no one like you. Your glory is particularly praiseworthy. Your excellence, your your commitment to rescue us. Hmm. And even more for us, the the deep sense of fulfilling a purpose to love and sacrifice for others. When we get to give our lives to help others come to know the hope and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus, we get to be a part of of what brings God glory. We get, that's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. The mission that we get to be involved in helps us bring him more glory. So if you help out with Celebrate Recovery and seeing lives change there, God's going to get the glory through those lives. When you help serve now and you sign up to do something to bless people in our community, the goal of that is to help point them to the love of Jesus Christ, big ways, small ways. Anyway, we want to do something to demonstrate to you the love of God the commitment of God. And so we serve our community intentionally because we're building bridges to help people know His glory. Awana, student ministry, Bible adventure. We had some, a couple weeks ago at the picnic, before the picnic, in the service, we had people, uh, a team from the Dominican Republic. We sent 20-some people down there this summer to, to, to share God's glory with the people in the DR. And they built a chapel, yes, and they did Bible school and they taught lessons and they played volleyball and they loved on people and they gave a testimony. This is why we're here, because this is what God has done for us, right? So this is what we do. We're on mission together. Remember, and I've said this so many times here, his mission is messy. His mission involves wading into broken Difficult places, so we can get next to people who need and want the hope and healing that Jesus offers. I love the parable in Luke 15 the shepherd who leaves the 99 safe sheep and tracks down the lost one. These ones are okay, but there's one out there that I've got to go find. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home to celebrate with his friends and his neighbors. I have found him. I have found him. Celebrate with me. And all of heaven rejoices. God's pursuit of us, his love and his passion that is excellent and praiseworthy to the highest degree. Did you notice that Jesus did not camp out in the temple. And neither can we. I love, if we call this the temple, I love being here with you. I love what God does among us when we, go, when we come together to worship and share and pray and be in his, I love it. But the point is that what happens here is to actually equip us to launch us out there to the people who need the hope that we have, the people that need to know the love that we've experienced, the people that need to know the joy that is ours in Christ. That's what this is about, getting us ready to move, to mobilize us to move because we're on mission every single day. Hmm. We are driven by his mission. And then the final thing we're going to mention here this morning is this, this piece about unity. In John 17, the reason I read that Because Jesus says that the way that we love one another brings God glory. It shows that he is genuinely at work in our lives. Jesus said, I pray that all of them may be one, Father. And notice this, unity says that we are bound together in two vitally important ways. We are bound together in love and we are bound together in truth, and both are important. And we are committed to loving one another, and we are committed to pursuing and upholding the truth. And who is the truth? Jesus said, I am. I am the way and the truth and the life. So we hold to the truth together. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll always agree about everything. There will be differences of opinion sometimes differences in thought on some things. But the phrase that drove the reformers and drives us is this, unity in the essentials and charity or love in the non-essentials. What are the things that we have to go to the hill for and what are the things that we can agree to disagree about? And see, there's, they're both important. But unity is vital. That kind of commitment, that oneness crosses borders. It crosses socioeconomic borders, crosses racial borders, language barriers, culture, life backgrounds, biases, and it binds us together as one in Christ, one. Oneness is what God's after for his people, that we would be one in him, just as I am in you, Father, and you are in me. May they also be in us. This is, and the effect is, when that happens and we walk together in unity, what the effect is is that people around us, people in the world, people in our community say, boy, there must be something to that God. God must be real because look at how they're loving one another. Look at how they're caring for one another. Look at how they're serving one another. Look at how they're staying united together in the, bond, the bonds of his love. It must be, how could that happen for hundreds and hundreds of people except by the power of God, the work of the Holy Spirit? Hmm. This is about his glory. At the cross, His glory in changing our lives and His glory in making us one to let the world know that you sent me. And so it's not about us. We're starting there this morning. Thank you for listening to this latest sermon. For more Prof. Church, check out our YouTube at Prof. Church Lancaster. Follow us on Facebook at Prof. Church Life on Instagram at Prof. Church or visit our website profchurch.net. Thank you for listening and be sure to make it a great day.